Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome into the latest edition of the Hangtime Podcast. Seku Smith here in Portland. John Schumann is in New Jersey, soon to embark upon his own game six. A wild Wednesday night. In the NBA playoffs and off the court as well. Crazy news coming out of Los Angeles. The Bucks are through to the Eastern Conference Finals. Crushed the Celtics. The Warriors survived a wild game five, but may have lost Kevin Durant in the process. And to help us break it all down and to preview tonight's game six is to listen to me rant on this Thursday. Let's bring in our special guest for this week. Swin Cash, one of my favorites. Three-time <laughs> WNBA champ, two-time gold medalist and the host of her own podcast, the She's Got Time podcast. Swin, how you doing? I kn- Listen, I know, you, I know you're ready for me to act up a little bit today. Uh, <laughs> I'm in my feelings. I haven't been home in like two weeks. I'm on my own I know, road. I know. Playoffs got me strung out, so I'm a little angry. Schumann is already nervous because I've been yelling before we got started. First of all, what's going on with Boston? I know they're done, but I want to get into the Boston Celtics before we get into Warriors Rockets. What, what, what's up with Kyrie? Is is, what, did he play his last game in a Celtics uniform? I, I actually think he has. I'm one of those people that, you know, a lot of times if you play the game, you've been around the game, you look at the basketball, and we can just analyze the basketball part of it. But for me, my whole career, I was part of culture building, and chemistry to me was everything. And so as a player, I was able to always recognize it when you had it, when you didn't have it, um, body language, all those different things that were kind of strength of mine. I always used that, whether it was in the locker room or kind of uh, when I was on television and analyzing teams and everything, everything, not just the series, um, the playoffs with, with, with Kyrie. This whole season with Kyrie has been um, just, I would say from step A to step Z has been everything in between the gamut that you can have, the highs, the lows, the emotions, the this, the that. And it really just all kind of culminated to them being smacked the way they got smacked by the Bucks and exiting out of the playoffs with everyone in Boston with their mouth hanging on the floor because you don't expect that with having a superstar like Kyrie on their team. But I just – I said it on the bounce uh, during the NBA season that I didn't think this team was going to get to the conference finals or the finals. And I just – you know, I was betting against talent, but everything about their chemistry told me they would not be there. Yeah, I mean, the chemistry is huge this time of year. You look at the way teams have bounced back from a little bit of adversity, and that's all over the playoffs. Are, are we underestimating – just how important it is championship chemistry. I mean, you've been on championship teams. You've been, you won gold medals. You know this. Is it the most underrated factor during this time of year when everybody's looking at analytics and trying to figure out who has an advantage, what matchup you can exploit? Sometimes it's just about having great chemistry as a group. 
Listen, Seku, there's no analytic that is going to be able to analyze two things and not somebody's heart and somebody's spirit. And those two things at times could either build momentum or change and pivot in the, the course of a series. And I strongly believe that because I've seen it happen time and time again. And the thing for me with this Boston team was it didn't just come down to the playoffs. They had superstars that, you know, like Kyrie that can make shots and if you put them in position. But you got to have some grinders that understand their roles and are able to excel in those roles. And one of the things I thought that hurt Boston this whole year was they had a lot of younger guys. They got a taste of what this thing feels like and looks like last year. And they didn't develop throughout the season or be put in position to develop. And so I think a lot of times people were scared to question Brad Stevens. And I think that was the biggest thing for me is that everybody kept pointing at times to Kyrie, to this person. It was Morris. It was smart. It was this. And yet at the end of the season, after, you know, Boston just lost, Brad says, I didn't do a good job this year. Well, it's it's hard when you say that at the end, because we all kind of saw that early on in the season. <laughs> and probably tried to, sort of try to correct it then, right? Thank you. I mean, right, that's just my right. thing. And I, I thought we never really kind of put the heat or the pressure there. I think Brad Stevens put the pressure on himself the whole season. I've, I talked to him a couple of times during the season and he never sort of shied away from the response, from his responsibilities. And as far as getting these guys to play together, but when Swin says the word spirit that hits with me and, and for me, it's like buy-in is everybody bought into what is everybody pushing forward in the same direction. I've talked about it this year with just like team's defense. Like we saw, you know, Denver switch up their defensive scheme a little bit and Milwaukee switch up their defensive scheme. And I don't think the scheme itself mattered as much as that everybody bought into what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you have in Milwaukee. Like they've bought, they bought in from day one and they're still buying it. Like they they still believe in what they're doing from one to 10 in that rotation. And that's, I mean, that's just what it is. And Boston, I, I just don't think there was that level of buy-in from every single guy. And whether it was buying into what Brad Stevens was selling or buying into what Kyrie was talking, you know, and, you know, <laughs> I mean, I go back to the quote. Well, just like, go ahead well, and call it nonsense. Like, hey, Kyrie, what's going to, is, is everything going to be all right in the playoffs? And he says, yeah. And they said, why? And he says, because I'm here. Well, you know, that that's the one, that's the one quote that's going to haunt him forever. Well, that that night I shot twenty two, but I should have shot thirty because I'm I'm that great a shooter. I mean, Swin, have you seen a have you seen a star in this league that you can remember in recent memory who was this kind of out of step with what the rest of us are seeing, just in terms of his own worth and his own abilities? We know Kyrie's a great player. Nobody's doubting. No, nobody's questioning that. But does he maybe think he's on another level that he hasn't yet achieved? You know, personally as a player, I don't have a problem with. When players make statements and they feel a certain way about themselves, like confidence, I mean, how you measure it in each person is different. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things I saw with Kyrie is that we all talked about how, you know, obviously getting mentored and having that connection with Kobe Bryant. There was just, that's just a different beast. Like Kobe would say something and we knew that he was like locked in completely to try to go out there and do it. Like his, his thought process was always backed up with like the follow through. As we've seen like this year when Kevin Durant said, Y'all know who I am, right? <laughs> but then we saw game after game after game after game. Well, Kyrie says, you know, what he said about I'm not going to go eight for 22. And then you see game after game, and it's like yet yeah, the follow-through is not there. So I think that's the next level. When people talk about 
the leadership or the ability. Like, you don't just go out there and put yourself in a position and say stuff unless you know, like, I have the capability or I'm going to do everything humanly possible to do it. And the one thing I saw from Kyrie is that <laughs> it's fascinating that he said what he said. Usually you come out and you play so much harder. You see his intensity. I never really saw that elevated intensity. And he's not a guy that's like kind of rah-rah, but you can just see it in somebody's game. And I just didn't really feel that the next two games after, you know, he made the statement. Yeah. To me, it's a complete flip of what we saw in the Warriors-Rockets game. Um, in game five, Steph and Clay have been getting roasted on the internet. I mean, right. people talking about <laughs> either one I'm showing up, you know, talking about APPs out for, for Clay. They were the guys who saved the, the Warriors to me in that game last night. Just both of them making plays fourth quarter. Kevin Durant goes down, obviously. They say it's a calf strain. I'm nervous because it looks like Mm -hmm. we won't see Kevin Durant again maybe in this postseason um, based on the way he walked off that floor and and what it looked like. Um, I'm glad that they're saying it's not an Achilles. But to me, the Warriors have the exact opposite fortitude as stars when we talk about their spirit. Clay and Steph, with all the mistakes they can make throughout the course of a game, all of the things that can go sideways, they got the right spirit at the end. It, It just seems like they have the right kind of spirit to come through in clutch moments that maybe some other guys don't have. Maybe James Harden and Chris Paul don't have it because for all the talking they do, they had a great opportunity to take that game last night and and came up empty in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think one of the things that I saw with Steph and Clay uh, more so is they were very familiar and very comfortable with being in that position. So you take another great star off the floor and they look around and they're like, okay, this is familiar to me. So the shots, the thought process, it becomes a little different because you're not playing within a rhythm of somebody else that you know is going to get a shot or is going to be there. So you can take up a little bit more of that pressure. So it seemed just very comfortable. Like I didn't, I didn't feel there was pressure on them at that point in time. To me, it was actually like, ah, okay, like I've been here before. I can do this. I watched that fourth quarter this morning. I will cop to go into bed at, at halftime last night. <laughs> to make sure I had some energy for, for for game sixes tonight, and so I watched that fourth quarter, knowing what the result was, and I didn't I didn't like see Harden or Paul sort of shrinking at all in the in the final moments. When I they didn't shrink, they didn't step up. Is what I'm saying? Like they didn't see. The I moment. guess I just I just saw like knowing the result, I saw like the missed opportunities for the Rockets. Like three things stood out. One was Tucker with his heel out of bounds right before he hit a big three with, I think, a little less than three minutes to go. Um, mm-hmm. Another was a loony offensive rebound that turned into a Clay Thompson three, I think maybe on that next possession. So, like, you know, Rockets grabbed that rebound. Mm-hmm. And then the, the loose ball in the final seconds where – Where they had... froze and Clay <laughs> took off to the basket and made a reverse left. Okay, <laughs> let me ask you this then, John, and, and you answer him. If the game's on the line – and you're James Harden or Chris Paul, are you going to stand there and watch somebody else make a play, or are you going to go make a play? But where do you think they were, like, standing and watching, like, as – I mean, Eric Gordon had the ball. When Eric Gordon or somebody else is doing something, John. I mean – When somebody else is doing something, John, and I'm the superstar on the floor, and I'm trying to win a game five on the road so I can go home and close them out. I mean, I, I if you're James Harden, your job is to – Get the ball to the go open. get the I ball. Mean, yeah, but also get the ball to the open man. And I, I think the Rockets took good shots in that. I don't think there was any 
Yeah, because he he spends the entire season getting the ball to the open man. Yeah, that's his job. He's a great passer. Like if you can send two, <laughs> come on, send two guys at him. Yeah, he's gonna find the open. Like, I mean, come on, shoot. But, I mean, you're giving him you're giving him out. I mean, I'm not in. I'm not. Yeah. A, yes, I don't subscribe to the oh uh, the best player on the floor always has to take all the shots no matter what the defense. I didn't say you to take the shot, but you better have a ball in your hand. Is what I'm saying. I don't get that, Swain. I don't get guys who want to be these alphas. And then go back and look at that. Are you history. saying James Harden's not willing to take big shots? Is that what you're? No, I'm saying he James Harden has come up woefully short when it in terms of going to get the ball to take big shots in the playoffs. Uh, I'll disagree with that. I think one of the things from last, um, you know, obviously not this game, um, game four, whenever Chris Paul had had the ball and he kind of waved off and kind of gets the pick and roll at the top of the key, but then ended up kind of getting a jump ball, I believe, or it was a turnover, something like that. And everybody Mm -hmm. was, you know, killing James on social media. Why didn't he go get the ball? Why didn't he get the ball? And I've said it all year long, like James can go get the ball a million times at the end of games, but you also need that other player. And, our whole thought process was like that other player is CP3. And one of the things I've been questioning and trying to figure out, I was asking, like, is is everything okay physically with CP3? Because mm-hmm. usually you see him has the ability to get by people, but I've seen him more in this series than than um than this whole season, I would say. Like when Clay's on him, like he gets in there and he gets tied up more than anyone or it's a turnover or he's trying to find somebody. And I've never questioned like his size because he's so crafty with the ball. Like that's never come into play, but it just seems like a little bit of a step slower or he's not being able to get to his spot and being able to make a play. And I think that's hurting him more than anything because they need his creativity. They need him to be able to set other guys up. I think James gets in there more than anything, whether he's throwing a lob to Capella, a little bounce pass, a little shuffle, a little scoop pass. But Chris hasn't been that effective, I feel like, getting to the rim and being able to make plays there. The one thing that gets lost when everybody in the comes to the playoffs and everybody focuses on one player's shooting numbers. So mm-hmm. like Chris Paul, three for 14, 0 for 6. Like, that's a great point. Like The context there is that, hey, you know, he's being defended by a really good and much bigger defender. And you can even go back to Ky- like to, to Kyrie Irving in that the context is that he was going against the best defensive team in the league with a, with a ton of size. And, and yeah, maybe he shouldn't say that I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take 30 shots against the best defensive team in the league and I'm going to do my thing. But, but that's always the context. Like it's the context of how good is the other team defensively? And two, how are they defending that particular player. If you're one of the best players on the team, well, that means that you're the biggest priority on of the opposing defense. Like their first priority is to get take you out of what you do normally. And that always gets lost in these sort, you know, playoff things. Like a team loses and then you immediately look at the box score. Oh, you know, Chris Paul shot three for 14, you know, like it's all, you know, let's ask him what went wrong. Well, let's, you know, first give credit to the the other team and I think that gets uh, obviously got lost in the Milwaukee Boston series because we didn't talk about the Bucks at all and and right. they obviously have been fantastic, fantastic. Yeah. and and that could get lost in in Golden State and even you know and because hey let's remember Golden State it can be the best defensive team in the league when they're dialed in my only problem with that is that we we ask for context in certain situations and not others um when Giannis struggled in game one you know, we talked about how great Al Horford was, this, that, and the other. But, we, you know, we didn't talk about the fact that their whole defensive focus was they got to shut down Giannis. Well, when he comes back and roasts them the next four <laughs> games, where's the context? 
Yeah, we, we didn't hear about Al again. So I just, that, that was exactly. it. We, we, we didn't hear Al's name the rest of this year. Yeah, he went missing. And that's all I'm saying is stars step up and play at another level in the postseason. And all I'm asking is that guys like James Harden, Chris Paul, who show up to podiums and snicker at questions and roll their eyes when we're asking questions after games, show up when the, when the game is on the line. Show up in the fourth quarter. Do what Steph and Clay did last night that everybody asked that they do. Show up and be the Splash Brothers with a, you know, under pressure with a with game online. And you're right, Shu. We haven't talked as much as we should about Milwaukee, but we'll get that opportunity because they've moved on <laughs> and the Boston Celtics have not. Flipping the script to the Raptors and the Sixers. And, and John, you've been on this series. Everybody's been talking about Ben Simmons and, and the breakdown. Where is the context for this series in terms of what we should be looking at in a bigger picture in terms of what the Sixers are lacking? Is it just about Simmons not being a good shooter and Embiid having everything but morning sickness? I mean, what is the what's the context here for the Sixers? Uh, that's a great question. I think, you know, they've proven that they can win with – and beat struggling. I mean, heck, they won a game in the first round without him uh, in the game he missed. And then in game two, he had the stomach issue and didn't play very well. And they won that game on the road. And but then, you know, obviously, Toronto in game five found itself a little bit, found its offense, found its, um, you know, found Kawhi Leonard's supporting cast. You know, they they I think they won big without Leonard having a superhuman, you know, 40 point, 65 percent shooting performance. And maybe that carries over. But I think in all five of these games in this series have been completely different from each other. As far as Simmons, like I give Toronto a lot of credit. They've done uh, a fantastic job of cutting off his drives to the basket, especially in transition. And he really doesn't have a counter to that right now. Like he doesn't have, I was just thinking about this. Like he doesn't, if they cut him off on his initial attack, like he doesn't even have like the Pascal Siakam spin move or the Embiid spin move, mm-hmm. you know, or the, you know, Giannis has, a, you know, that spin move. Like if he, if he attacks, say he attacks towards the left block or whatever, and they cut him off, he spins towards the middle. Same thing uh, with Siakam. Like he likes to go right and then spin back left. Um, Simmons doesn't really have that. He sort of has that jump hook. That's not exactly uh, consistent and he's not real confident in going to it. Um, he'll just, you know, they cut him off. He just kicks it back out. So he's a, a regular season star that can be uh, neutralized in the postseason when a team does a good job of getting back. You know, Sixer season is on the line Thursday night. No question. And I'm curious to see, you know, uh, you know, there'll obviously be a lot of focus on the first quarter. You know, what kind, what kind of fight do the Sixers show? Can the what? Can the Raptors sort of weather the storm if there's a, a big push at the beginning? I'm curious to see, like, if this team, whether or not Embiid is healthy or not, if this team, you know, is willing to fight for their season. Like, what kind, you know, it's a, it's a new group, you know. They've, we've seen them play really, really well when they're all uh, on the same page, when everything's clicking, like in game three of this series. Sounds like you call them front runners. I'm not, I'm not saying, uh, like, I, I, <laughs> well, well. <laughs> That that that, that ended up being like the Celtics thing, right? But we don't know. We don't yeah. know yet, just yet, from the Sixers. I think they haven't really like this is their first well, hey, go back to game five. Like this the Raptors, mm. they had a the Sixers had an early lead. The Raptors answered, took the lead late in the first quarter, and then the Sixers never responded after that. So maybe that was a sign that, hey, they are front runners. But that was on the road and Bede was sick. You know, we'll see 
you know, what happens tonight at home. But yeah, I think like, is there buy-in from this team? Do they want to fight for each other? Do they want to fight for Brett Brown, whose uh, job might be on the line? Right. You know, I, it's a new group. It's not necessarily a cohesive group from what we've seen, but it can be really freaking good when they're all playing well. They have all the elements to, to be a good team on both ends of the floor. So, Swain, so let me ask you a question about the Sixers. What advice do you, do you pull Ben Simmons aside whenever this season is over, no matter what happens? What do you what do you tell him as as a vet to a young up and coming star? What do you tell him the real like the honest assessment that you got to give him if, as a teammate or somebody watching his career to say, man, you got to go to the next level doing what? Yeah, I mean it's a great question. I think I would um, giving him the real. I would say to him, I would say, look, look, you you are a really good player and. You can make a lot of money in this league and you can be average and you may bounce around a little bit because you're not going to be able to have success in the postseason. Or you could want to become one of those great stars and have the ability to have your name, you know, one day up there in the rafters. But if you don't get better and work on your game every, every single offseason and through the year and put that work in and, you know, get those other elements to your game, your ability to shoot, to be a threat, people will always be able to mobilize you. And if you want to be average and you want to deal with everything that comes with social media, people criticizing you, then you stay the same way you are. You'll make a lot of money, but that you're just going to be average. And I think he may know, I feel like he knows that on the inside mm-hmm. to him, but when people are telling me that players are putting in work and they're out here and there's video streaming online or whatever, I don't care about any of that. Like I don't care about any of it because I can tell where you put the work in whenever you get back on the floor and the season starts. So we'll see these off season workouts. We'll see everybody from Vegas to here to there working out. And, you know, it does not matter because you always can tell like the proof is in the pudding. Whenever you come back, I can tell if you've worked on your game and then you're able to implement it whenever the season starts. Yeah. Is that the same advice when that we got to give to Jason Tatum? I mean, a lot of these second year guys, Donovan Mitchell, you know, a lot of these guys had good playoffs last year and had good seasons. So, you, you know, they're coming back feeling good, feeling confident, and then come up a little bit short in that second year. I, I feel like almost there are way too many people blowing these guys smoke about how great they are without giving them the real like, hey, you got to you got to stay in the lab and work on your game because. You might have had a good rookie season or you might have had a good second season, but you got to come back new and improved every year to be on that next level. Yeah, yeah, you definitely do. But, I, you know, I'll give Tatum a kind of – I'm looking at him, but I'm not going to completely put him in the same, I think, um, situation with uh, Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Just because I think the situation was so different in Boston because I really thought there were two guys that got – put in a situation that was very tough from this year. And that was Jalen Brown. And that was also Jason Tatum because Mm -hmm. they were able to taste and see their success and almost blossom a little early as we saw last year. And then you come back and then regardless of how successful you are, you think that, Oh, part of these keys are going to get handed to me. So I'm going to get a key. You're going to get a key. And then we're going to be able to go out here and play. Well, it doesn't work like that whenever you bring in superstars and especially somebody like Kyrie that's, ball dominant and his ability to create and do other things he has to have the ball in his hands right so these young guys that are used to pass and cut and dribble handoff like moving without the ball like they were able to have growth in that system and that's why I asked the question in regards to Brad Stevens and I'm glad you um you know earlier when you pushed back a little bit and said that Brad Stevens has talked about what he's done and adjustments he's you know he didn't make or whatever like this season throughout the season 
But if you know that and you're talking about it throughout the season, then as a leader and leadership, that also falls on the coach to put people in positions to then let me see how successful that you are. So, I mean, it's not it's not all the blame can't go to Kyrie, it can't go to Stevens, but there's enough to go around that whole that whole organization. <laughs> and believe me, I guarantee you, it's it's got to be fired up in Boston today. Shu, you talked about it earlier. They thought this was their year, not just to get through the East, to win it. They had, I mean, they had the pieces. If this was a team where the whole was greater than the sum of the parts, and yeah, they had that ability, they had the potential to be a championship team because they had, I think, the versatility where they could compete with the best teams in the East, but also match up pretty well with the with the Warriors, where they had you know the size, um, the athleticism, you know, the switchability defensively to match up with Golden State, but the whole was obviously less than the sum of the parts all year long, and. I think that's just it just comes down to that, really. Yeah, it's weird. We, we're talking about guys taking that next step and young players elevating. The series I'm on out here, Portland and Denver, has been kind of an exercise in Denver's young guys taking that next step. Jamal Murray and, and Nikola Jokic have been fantastic. You know, and the Nuggets have a, a chance to close this thing out in a place where it's going to be very difficult. The Blazers don't lose back-to-back home games. so. My my travel agent on my shoulder here is telling me, just like I predicted, this thing is going seven. Get back to you know, get back to Denver for Game Seven this weekend and see how it plays out. What's been your impression, Swin, of these young guys for Denver in this series and just how good they've been? I've been very impressed, but you know, what my uh, through my conversations with Sue Bird, that's working out there with them early in this mm-hmm. season. I mean, one of the things she brought up he was that. She was like, look, like these guys just buy it and they're like, young. And and I, we kept thinking and we were talking about just like back in the day, like even us playing. And I remember being in Detroit in my first championship that I won is that there was almost this kind of naive sense that we had that, you know, we were a good team, but our confidence level was so high because we all bought into what we're doing. And it really didn't matter about everything else. And I was telling Sue, and the same thing about this team is like, there's almost that level of they just forget things really quickly and they just keep playing. So they make mistakes and it's almost like, oh, I take a bad shot. Oh, so what? I'm going to take another one. It's okay. It's good because I believe the next one's going to go in. And and their coach recognizes it that you can see he keeps kind of pouring into them like this confidence, this confidence. And they really just taking it to that level where they collectively just play well together and they know their roles and they don't really step outside of that. And if they do, you can tell there's checks and balances. And that's rare for a young team to me um, because you look around and you're like, well, who's their vets and who's, who's talking to them? Cause you're always looking for who's the voice of reason. And I think the perfect guy and Millsap to be there is, is special for this team. Mm, yeah, you're right. I think you saw right. I sat down and talked to him the other day for a long time. I've known Paul since he played in Atlanta and uh, earlier in his career in Utah, you talk about, you nailed that. The perfect vet for this young team because his ego is not so big, Swin, that he's worried about his numbers or getting his. He understands the greater good, so he's going to be a facilitator when need be. But then obviously when there's an opportunity for him to exploit mismatches, he, he's going to work on those Portland forwards, and they got nothing for him. I mean, they got absolutely nothing mm-hmm. for Paul Millsap in this series. To me, he's giving them an edge as much as Jokic and Jamal Murray have because you always need that third player to step up you know, yep. at this time of year and be a factor. So I saw Sue Bird in, in the hallway the other night, by the way, too, and I, I was – I totally forgot about that. The infiltration <laughs> of the UConn 
champions in this league. I mean, I'm looking around. Y'all, y'all making some noise now, Swin. Making a lot of noise in the NBA. <laughs> we're, trying, we're, trying, we're trying to infiltrate up in here. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Listen, before we let you get out of here, um, and we, like I said, we appreciate you taking some time out. We know you got a million things going on, so we certainly appreciate it. But what's your five-minute, five-second psychologist take on what in the world is going on with the Los Angeles Lakers? They can't find a coach. Uh, <laughs> apparently, Linda and Kurt Rambis are the whispers in Jeannie Buss's ear. Um, T. Lou's resume <laughs> apparently doesn't work. I mean, LeBron needs to be traded. What what the hell is going on with the Lakers? You know what? I said before the playoffs even started, the Lakers and LeBron James will not be in the playoffs, but I guarantee you we're going to be talking throughout the playoffs <laughs> and even to the finals. Somehow, some way, the Lakers are going to find a way to get on the television. <laughs> and this is just it. I mean, it is. Uh, it has really just been a, a whirlwind of, uh, WT, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna leave it there. Um, I, I don't know. It's it's really to me. Um, everything we talk about leadership and everything that I've been kind of brought up on in this basketball culture and world, the tone is set from the top. And and I know, um, Jeannie Buss really wants to get it right. And I know everybody loves the Lakers, but at some point you have to have people that are willing to say the buck stops here and we don't need outside. We don't need friends. We don't need family. We just need people who understand this business and be able to get it done. I have no idea why Ty Lue is not signing a contract right now for the Lakers. I have no idea why he does not get the five years that I think that he would deserve. I mean, if you look out there on these coaches that they're going after, I mean, you talk about championship experience. And I I don't like the fact that people are always discrediting his, his championship experience and his ability to coach a team because he had LeBron. When did people just become defecto coaches because they have LeBron. Like, okay, I get it. LeBron brings this other factor, but I think the people in the basketball will understand how players respect and they play for Ty Lue. All right? Mm-hmm. That's a difference. Yeah. And so I do think he should be getting five years, but I would just say this and, and leave it there. The whole nonsense about trading LeBron James, like, <laughs> it, I, yeah, I'm going to leave that alone because I could probably <laughs> go on for another five minutes. I think it's ridiculous. <laughs> I think, first of all, they better have a conversation with LeBron James. And if LeBron doesn't want to be there, he's not going to be there. But I just think that you don't bring LeBron James. You don't bring somebody that affects ratings, that affects every aspect of this business to L.A. And then you talk about trading him. For what? What you trading him for? Yeah, what you going to get? In three years, I guarantee you. Yeah, what you going to get? And in three years, if he's able to get another superstar to come there, LeBron James is going to get you to a finals. I, I would guarantee that. Now, he gets a Kawhi or, or somebody else or he gets another superstar to come out there. You give LeBron another weapon and give him a shooter, that third person on the side somewhere, he's going to get you there. What are you yeah. talking about? Y'all ain't been relevant for how long? <laughs> Let me stop. This your podcast, you. I'm going to save it for another time. I'm a, I'm, you better save it for your podcast because I'm going to be listening. <laughs> I'm going to make sure you do some ranting on yours just like we're doing around here today. <laughs> what does it say about the Lakers that uh, Monty Williams passed them up to go coach passed. the Phoenix Suns. Like, Ooh. I mean, see, like, yeah. is there yeah. been a more dysfunctional franchise in the last five years than the Suns? Is there a a a a, 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 apparently a franchise that a coach should want to avoid more than the Phoenix Suns? <laughs> and this, apparently there is. Yeah, like, <laughs> what does that say? Like, 
He passed up the <laughs> Lakers to go coach the Suns. Like I know the Suns have be, before talent. they get the number Still. one pick. Yeah. yeah, before they, they get Zion. It's just crazy. I don't know. I'm I'm very. I'm hurting for for those old time Laker fans like my dad who's still running around with his Showtime Lakers T-shirt, and I know he's gonna listen to this, mm-hmm. so he's probably mad. He's gonna be mad when he hears that. But I feel for them because they they all think it's gonna turn yeah. around tomorrow. They all think the sun is gonna come up yeah. tomorrow and we're gonna fix this thing. And it's like, man, it's been over a half a decade. You are still on the outside looking in. Be careful thinking it's just gonna fix it. The one thing I was thinking about is are the Lakers and the Celtics, the two most storied franchises in the league, the two most disappointing teams this season? <laughs> Lakers, you know, uh, missing the playoffs. Yeah. LeBron missing the playoffs for the first time in 14 years. And then the Celtics, you know, fizzing out in the in the conference semis, given all the hype. Now, maybe the Warriors can be added to that list if they don't win a championship. But as of today, you might be right. I mean, he might be right, Swin, yeah. as of right now. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I I didn't think about it that way, but that's an excellent point and a great observation. And I would have to say, yeah, at this point right now, and the thing about it is, is that we, Boston, the Boston Celtics are not going to look like the same team next next year, the team that they are right now. But they'll still have more, I think, than the Lakers (laughs) if nobody else comes out there and plays with LeBron. Which I'm hoping, knowing LeBron, he'll get get somebody. May not get a tier one, but he may get a tier two. No doubt. Well, look, Swin, we appreciate it. Enjoy talking to you as always. I'll see you in the hallway somewhere, I know, at some point. Yes. Y'all let me, y'all going to let me back on the bounce at some point, please? <laughs> yes, we will, for yeah, sure. Yeah, I have too much fun on the bounce. I got to go in there and put a tie on and act all serious. I want to come over to the bounce. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get you over there. Thanks, guys. I appreciate right, y'all. Swin Cash, join us here on the Hang Time Podcast. Always good to have some uh, different voices here on the show. Swin is one of the best, shoe, one of my favorites. I get a chance to chop it up with her on Wednesday nights during the regular season um, and uh, when she's in doing the bounce on Yahoo. And uh, we always go back and forth about different stuff about basketball. So I was like, I thought about the other day. I was like, man, why have we not had Swin on the podcast? She'd be, she'd be fantastic. And she was. Um, are you done tonight? You think this? You think you finished tonight? That's a great question. I mean, is it is it over? Do you do you get a chance to get a little break? I what? don't know what to think. You know, like I said, like all five games in Sixers Raptors have been different than the others. Like very different from the others. Like there hasn't been one that's followed the same sort of pattern. The one uh, constant has been the winner of the first quarter has won each game. So we'll see. Maybe right. we'll know uh, after twelve minutes what's going on. And then you know, a lot of it's on Embiid and and his ability to one get healthy or two fight through whatever he's got. But the other guy's got to step up. You know, Tobias Harris has got to step up. Uh, Jimmy Butler's got to keep doing his thing. And, you know, I, it, it's one of those things. Like, after seeing the Raptors in game five, I'm like, wow, this team has got it, right? But I thought the same yeah. thing about yeah. the Sixers after game three when they went into <laughs> Toronto and and, and uh, or or came back home and then just crushed the Raps in, in game three. So, yeah. like I said, every game's been different. So, I, I go into game six with – no expectations whatsoever, and I will just right. ride the wave. And uh, see, that's a weird thing for me. Like in the series I'm covering, shoe, I don't, I don't ride the emotional. Like I don't feel like after every win, okay, this team's got it or this team has. But then when I'm watching the other series from afar, I absolutely get that feeling. <laughs> like, oh man, it's over or it's a wrap, you know. And that's what leads to people saying crazy stuff like the Bucks are finished after Game One. <laughs> You know, or or somebody's done, you know. In the first round, we saw, well, okay, there's some cases where you can 
draw conclusions of the whole series based on one or two games. Like, hey, Milwaukee, Detroit, yeah. obviously one team was much, much better than the other. Mm-hmm. But I think in most playoff series, when when the teams are somewhat evenly matched, every game is different. And like you can talk, you could like game one will happen and you can focus on all these guys that didn't perform or performed well or some sort of action that worked really well for the team or 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 a game plan thing that happened. And like game two, just like none of those talking points will apply to game two whatsoever. Like it's just it is totally different. I thought after game four of this series that like neither of these teams is going to look like the better team after the series was done. One of them will just have won four games. Um, but maybe, maybe Toronto can, if they can continue what they did, if they get um, the ball moving, if guys continue to step up and make shots, shoot with confidence um, as they did in game five, maybe Toronto will just sort of deem itself the better team uh, in the series. Yeah. But, Heck, any, I mean, like I said, I go into game six with no expectations whatsoever and just we'll see what happens. Yeah, I don't I don't have a prediction for what happens here tonight in Portland. The Trailblazers have not lost back-to-back home games, I don't believe, all season shoe, uh, which is a stunning statistic to hear. When I, when I heard it on the news and then I looked it up and I believe I confirmed it with my uh, Cracker Jack research here um, at the hotel, that's a pretty amazing thing to have done as a number three seed to not have lost back-to-back home games all season. But the playoffs, to me, after four or five games, shoe show you where you're lacking. You know what I'm saying? Like where you're deficient. And then if I can, if I can tap into that as, you know, if I'm Denver, then I kind of go in tonight with this feeling that, hey, we've been vetted. We've been tested had a seven-game series in the first round and came through, have been down in this series, bounced back, kept, you know, fought off a 3-1 deficit potentially after losing a quadruple overtime game. You know what I mean? There's some scar tissue that this Denver team has now, to me, that would allow them to to maybe manage themselves a little bit differently and better at Motor Center tonight. So I'm I'm thinking this becomes a pressure game in a lot of different ways for Portland. This is about keeping your magical season alive and trying to sustain a narrative that, that began, you know, before the season when Paul Allen passes away, you got swept out of the playoffs last year. You come back at the third seed again. You get Oklahoma City in the first round. A lot of people are picking you to lose. You win the way you – as dramatically as you did. Dame outdueling Russ. You waving bye-bye, the whole thing. <laughs> now the the pressure of all that to me – whether you want to admit it or accept it or not, is on your head if you're Dame Lillard and CJ McCollum. Like, you got now I gotta go out tonight and play the most amazing basketball I've played. Which they're they're perfectly capable, but that's a that's a hell of a lot of pressure on you. Yeah, it should be fun. I think uh the conference semis have sort of uh lived up to expectations somewhat. Not not on the Boston side, obviously, but you know, Houston Golden State has been five close games, really. Um, yeah. You know, Sixers, Raptors has been interesting, to say the least. A couple of close games that end of game four was in Philly was really tense and exciting. Um, you've got two young teams sort of putting themselves together. And, you know, uh, you know, you can't ask for, you know, this is what you want. Game six is with one team. Yeah. Uh, with their season on the line, um, in all three cases, it's the home team that that uh, 
you know, is fighting for their season. So that, you know, adds a little bit of juice to it. You know, I, I don't know what, like, I could still see all three of these series going to seven. Um, and, yeah. but maybe, you know, the teams that are up three, two have sort of found themselves in the Raptors, in the Nuggets, you know, the Nuggets are maybe, yeah. maybe they're coming of age and uh, yeah. we'll see what the Warriors, you know, obviously the Durant in- injury uh, doesn't, you know, who knows um, he has been there, you know, get the ball to KD and go get a bucket, you know, guy for the, this right. entire postseason. Um, yeah. And now, and they've, you know, depth has been an issue for that team. Um, and it's going to continue to be an issue. Um, you know, yeah. Kevon Looney is going to have to play big, mo- big minutes. Um, Iguodala is going to be at his age is going to have to play big minutes. And it's going to be, even if they get through Houston, you know, they look a little bit uh, more vulnerable than they did just like 48 hours ago. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Again, I apologize for my off the rails assessment of certain things today. It is, it has been quite some time since I have slept in my own bed. Back and forth between the same two hotels in Portland and Denver. So much so, shoe. I checked back in my hotel here in Portland yesterday after being in Denver for a couple of days. It's no joke. They handed me my key. It, it's the same room nice. I had when I was here, which is, you know, some people might find that comforting. I find it creepy um, because the people were different at the front desk and everything, and they handed me the key. It's 1608, and I'm like, really? <laughs> like, like, <laughs> I got a playoff demons messing with me because I'm not getting home. The way the schedule's going to break down, if there's a game seven and then we start up game one of the West Coast Finals on Tuesday somewhere, that's no time to get all the way back to Atlanta, throw some bags down, pack up, and then go all the way back cross country west. I might as well just suck it up, find somewhere to go do laundry and stay on the road, right? Yeah. And in regard to uh, family time and nights in, in, uh, uh, in our own bed, we all have sort of rooting interests in all these games, but. We can't uh, we can't count on anything for sure. No, no, can't count on anything, man. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. We will be back here on the Hangtime Podcast after Mother's Day. So I want to shout out all the moms. Happy Mother's Day. You enjoy your weekend. You deserve it. You've earned it. Shoot, I'm, I'm going to be locked in tonight. My game and yours tomorrow night. These next 48 hours in the NBA. Fascinating stuff. As always, we've been talking about it all year, just how good the playoffs could be living up to the hype in every sense of the word. And that's just the playoffs. Never mind all the other drama going on off the floor. We'll see what happens with that Lakers coaching search and everything else. Um, Shout out to Swing Cash for joining us here on the Hangtime Podcast. The first of hopefully many visits from her. One of the, to me, one of the best voices in the game. You got to listen to what she's talking about. So many great insights. We'll be back on Monday with another episode. Follow all of the playoff coverage on NBA TV and NBA.com. Those post-game presses are on NBA TV immediately after each and every game. Great stuff. And then certainly on NBA.com, you can find all of our analysis from the games um, in the conference semifinals on both sides and, and going forward. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe to Hangtime. Make sure you leave a review, and we will see you right here next time on the Hangtime Podcast.